It's Monday, May 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Rockerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy May, guys. Hey, hey. Everybody ready to sell in May and go away? You know what I'm ready oh, to do. Every May. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm already counting down the clock to the yeah. end of May, Memorial Day weekend. That's Isn't what we're talking what about we're before taping, right? Get out of here, go play some golf. Remember guest time, baby. It is. It is. Pools but open up. You got you yeah. got some stuff to do before that. That's all right. Can we take one second to talk about just? I mean, it's like it's like your birthday. It's like tax day. <laughs> you can set your clock this time every year. The financial media coming out with just a round of stories of oh, sell in May and go away. Should yeah. you do it this year? Is should you not? And it's like just stop it. Kills me. Just stop. What it. does the farmer's almanac say this year? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let's go to some reliable sources like the farmer's almanac. Uh, we are going to dig into the latest twist in the battle for the living room. We will dip into the full mailbag, but let's start. Let's start this episode just like we did a week ago with the <laughs> Halliburton Baker Hughes deal, which is now officially off. The thirty-five billion dollar deal yeah. is off, and. As you said last week, Taylor, all signs were pointing to this. I'm a little curious, though, why Halliburton shares up about 2-3%, Baker Hughes shares down about 2-3%, because Baker Hughes is getting the mother of all breakup <laughs> gifts yeah. in the form of a $3.5 billion check. Yeah, they're already planning to spend most of it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, is is Baker? I guess my question is: Is Baker Hughes seen as that challenged a business that even though they've just gotten an enormous check, that people think, yeah, I'm I'm still not interested in this company. You know, I don't. I think it might just stem from the fact that they're no longer getting the premium that Halliburton was going to pay for their shares. Um, so. Maybe some investors are like, eh, maybe it's going to take a little bit longer to get to where we thought Halliburton was just going to go ahead and hand us some cash and some shares. Um, but they're spending it on share buybacks, uh, $1.5 billion or so is what they said. So that's a little over 7% of outstanding shares. So their company could be getting a deal over the next week or so if they start implementing this anytime soon because shares have sold off. So that might help shareholders in the long run with some returns there. Um, and then the other billions going towards debt. So they haven't made any announcements of like, we're ready to grow the business in this cheap environment yet, because um, as we've seen, the run-up in energy shares might have taken away some of the deals had this been called off only a month ago when oil was still um, below $40 a barrel. So, I expect them to use the other billion on small tack-ons, but uh, nothing like that's been announced yet. So, maybe the market's just kind of waiting and seeing. Because Halliburton, you kind of understand what's happening to them. You can strip that cash off their balance sheet and, and, and see what's happening. But Baker Hughes now has some decisions to make, so maybe some people are hesitant as to what those decisions might be. Yeah, I mean, if you put it in the context of Halliburton as, as a stock, I mean, if, if you look at the shares outstanding versus what they're paying out in this $3.5 billion uh, fee, Breakup fee—it's like four bucks a share, and and so it's not something that that kills the business, and and so then you, we know, investing is all about the future and seeing how the future may shake out. It's no secret that Halliburton is one of the strongest energy companies in the world, yeah. and and I don't you know I don't think that's going to change. It wasn't going to change before the acquisition. It's not going to change after. I think really the question then becomes. Um, Going forward, when when do we see this recovery in energy? And 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 like Taylor said, I think Baker Hughes. There there are many more questions 
for them than there are for Halliburton. I mean, this sucks if you're a Halliburton shareholder. Yeah, in losing three right? and a half I mean, billion. I feel like they just kind of throw three and a half billion out there as just sort of a, eh, who cares? You just yeah. start suffering that sort of big number syndrome where you can just make it this big number and it's just you can't even you can't even comprehend anymore. And that's kind of where you where you are here. I think um, it makes you think twice as an investor, right? You know, you don't want to see. A business throwing away no, three, three half billion dollars like that, but but it is what it is, as they say, and this is a company that can certainly uh, withstand it. Um, Halliburton's been a very interesting investment. I mean, if you look at the five, ten-year charts, the stock doesn't really go anywhere, but there are points in time where you can buy this thing, thing and make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we've said it a lot over the past year. I mean, we don't know when things are going to turn for energy, but they will, and when they do, this is probably going to be one you want to own. Yeah, and it's not—it's not necessarily in a bad spot now. Right. Yeah, it yeah. lost some cash. Maybe the dividend grows a little bit more slowly. It would be nice to see them have that money to put to use in the in the low price environment. But I don't think they're any worse for wear in the long term. Two questions before we move on. First, with respect to Baker Hughes, do you think part of what's happening with the stock is the stock buyback is being seen as, for lack of a better word, uninspiring? That is just sort of, and we've talked about this before. Regardless of industry, there are plenty of companies that, when they announce a stock buyback, you can sort of look at it and go, "Okay, well, they have no better idea for what to do with it. It's the fallback position." And I'm wondering if at least part of what's happening with the stock today is, "Wow, really? That's the best idea you have." It kind of caught me off guard that they are buying back more stock than they are paying off debt or earmarking for potential. Acquisitions or whatever the other billion that they haven't announced yet is, uh, so that, that kind of caught, caught me off guard a little bit, um, especially with shares having risen. I don't know what Baker Hughes have done over the last few months, but oil shares in general are up double-digit percents uh, in just the last few weeks. So losing out on what could have been some deals before this uh, before this announcement, um, and if it continues the way it is, they could have missed out. On the trough to begin with, so I do think it's less than inspiring. Yeah, and I would say also, I mean, we've seen data before that sort of talks about how poorly a lot of these businesses execute on the buyback front, right? I mean, the the, the charts show you that as soon as the market starts tanking, they're battening down the hatches and just going into shutdown mode. When really, that's when they need to be buying back these shares. So this is pretty interesting. I mean, in the case of Baker Hughes, I think this is kind of like found money. Yeah. And given the position of the energy market today, and and that they are going to execute some buybacks with this money, I actually I I think this could work out okay for them, given how depressed energy stocks are. I mean, yeah, I could see them wanting to kind of reduce the debt side, but the debt they can manage with no real problem. And and again, this is kind of like found money. Mm -hmm. Probably not such a bad use of that at this time. Um, given that so many companies have established such a poor record over time uh, on the flip side of that coin. Yep. Second question, should we read anything into the potential for mergers and acquisitions in the energy industry for the rest of this year? Should we read anything into what happened here, or do we just sort of look at this and say, you know what? Part of this was it was the second and third largest player in the space, yeah. and that was the problem that the Justice Department had with it. And really, it's the opposite because I, I I think if I heard you correctly, Taylor, you sort of hinted that Halliburton may just turn around now and and start to go looking for other fish. 
They could. I mean, they're they're missing some cash to do it with. Right. But um, maybe maybe <laughs> some smaller fish, maybe some smaller fish. Um, maybe they're a little bit more gun shy. But I think that they've had to take a much harder look at what they currently own uh, in order to value it for potential sales. In order to have this deal go through in the first place. So. They're, they're, I think that they're much more in tune with what they actually are now. Um, so they could maybe spin off a couple things uh, and then and then put some cash to use. But um, yeah, I don't think this is something that the whole energy sector has to be worried about. It was the number two and number three in an industry where the top three or four do have a commanding market share globally, not just in the United States. So um, I, I do think that this was probably a one-off. Uh, that being said, you're not going to see Chevron and Exxon try to merge because that would be something similar on a much larger scale, but similar in terms of uh, market share. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it's anything that you're going to see like a lack of energy deals because of this. Just maybe not the same competitiveness in nature. But it reminds me of like when T-Mobile got some cash twice, I think a couple billion each time, once from Sprint and once from another company, and they went out and they spent a lot of it, which is why they're one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing mobile companies out right now. Um, so that could be something that shareholders might be like, well, why isn't Baker Hughes throwing some of this cash around? But it is early still. Hulu making some news today. Hulu, obviously a private company. And yet, uh, and sort of known for being, among other things, a competitor to Netflix when it comes to the uh, video on demand type service. Uh, Wall Street Journal reporting that Hulu is developing an online TV bundle that will let subscribers stream major broadcast and cable channels. Uh, Hulu is owned by uh, this odd conglomerate of huge <laughs> players in the space Disney, 21st Century Fox, Comcast. So, on the one hand, Jason, you would think that as part owners of Hulu, these businesses that have their own content would be very open to helping Hulu make this succeed. On the other hand, was it two years ago, three years ago? We were, and it was about this time. I think in 2013 that one of the big stories we were talking about was how these major media companies were looking to sell Hulu. They were they were basically washing their hands and saying we're we're done with this. Let's try and find a buyer. Obviously that that has changed. Yeah, sure. I think uh perhaps in in the past maybe Hulu was viewed more as a a traditionally just a competitor to Netflix. I think when you look at this deal, uh the potential that this has I don't think this is really anything about competing with Netflix as much as it's just a testament to the changes that this space is witnessing right now. I mean, it it it's kind of coming down to really who needs the middleman, right? I mean, for the for the longest time, you look at the value chain for the longest time. This has really all been about distribution, and and so for the longest time, we've gotten our our TV thanks to the cable providers, because cable was the only way to really get it. I mean, mm -hmm. we had distribution for a long time via an, an antenna on the top of our house. That changed uh, to cable, and cable really kind of uh, held, held, the, uh, held the upper hand there. Uh, but, but as the internet continues to do, it has completely changed the, the game on, on so many fronts, because it has, it has opened up the distribution channels in just, just a major way. Um, and I think this is a great idea. I mean, I think that we're already seeing big companies like Verizon taking note and trying to offer skinnier bundles in order to be able to keep customers. 
and you're seeing that you can go without cable and have HBO, Hulu, Netflix a la carte and and get a lot of what you want. I think it's going to be very interesting to see at what point we get to where the cost benefits disappear because for the longest time it's been one of economics more than anything else. I mean, you could say that you could get Netflix and Hulu and HBO and pay far less than you would for a cable subscription. And, and that's true. It makes a lot of sense. You're really getting what you want and not having to deal with all the other stuff that cable companies charging you that you don't use. But at some point, the demand for the the products that are out there that are that are taking advantage of this new distribution, the the economics start to kind of come a little bit closer together. And it'll be interesting to see when that is. But with that said, I mean, I think this Hulu deal is particularly noteworthy because of the Disney relationship, the Fox relationship, the access to sports that both. Uh, networks have, and, and if I'm Comcast or Verizon, I mean I'm taking note of this because this is a big threat. Well, that's part of what I find so interesting about this is that Comcast is part of the ownership. Group. Sure. So you know maybe they're being really prescient in terms of disrupting their their own business model. But you're right; they potentially they Hulu potentially have access to all of the content you just said, and yet. We don't know what's going to be in this bundle. They yeah. haven't shared that. They haven't presumably decided upon that. This is a service that's going to launch in early 2017. One thing that apparently has been decided on is the price, which <laughs> is expected to be around forty dollars a month. And that's that's right in line with I think what people talked about with the Apple potential offering that Apple yeah. may or may not come up with at some point. I think that's a good round number. It offers sort of that compelling price where you feel like, yep, that's going to be cheaper than what I'm paying now. Um, Although that's a you lot, you still have to pay for your internet. Yeah, though, which well, you buy that a, by itself. A, it's also a lot more than you're going to pay for Netflix. It's a lot more than you're paying for HBO Go. Yeah, absolutely. And further to your point about the pipes, I mean, with Comcast having part ownership in Hulu, having a very big ownership in the pipes that that go to your house, what becomes more valuable? Yeah. Right, the the content or the way people are getting that content, and uh, that's that's going to be. A question we see uh, asked and answered, I think, here in the coming five five years. Do you hold the keys to people's internet? Sure, I mean, that's the ultimate thing, right there. You have to have the internet to stream. So, yep, I think that you know, I tried to, I did cut our cords last late last fall, and it's just shocking when you really boil it down to how much they're going to charge you just for internet versus how much you charge for the entire package. I mean, well, uh, the I mean, supply and demand dictate this. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's plain to see that. I mean. I mean, it, again, it is all about distribution, and the more people using the internet and the demand more yeah. uh, bandwidth, I mean, there is going to be reason for those prices to go up because the demand is there, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, any, it's no problem with that, right? That's that's how this works. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I, I think it's it's neat to see how the distribution changes the space. I, I think that those those cost benefits are going to sort of uh, fade away as time goes on because. Like it or not, I mean, everybody's going to want to get paid and yeah. be a part of this. And Comcast and Verizon aren't going anywhere. It's just, it's just a matter of, of where they stand in the value chain with this relationship. A couple of things before we dip into the full mailbag. We have a new free report entitled Rule Your 401k, The Motley Fool's Guide to Getting the Most Out of Your Workplace Retirement Account. And you can get this free report just by going to 401k. .fool.com. That's 401k.fool.com. Uh, we talk all the time about how 
once you get out of any sort of significant credit card debt, the first best move you can make as an investor is to just go right to your 401k plan, particularly if there's a match involved. I really feel like that needs to be an opt-out scenario. I think when you get hired, you are automatically enrolled, and you have to physically go in there and opt out. Because as it stands right now, especially when you're young and you don't have a lot of money, you probably have some student debt to pay off. I think everybody's trying to figure out every nickel and dime they can get. This is something that you just cannot cannot put off. I mean, time is your buddy here. And if you're 22, 24, 25 years old, you need to be taking advantage of that. Especially if there's an employer match. Sure. It's free money. Yeah. Free money. Uh, so, check that out at 401k.fool.com. Uh, it's our brand new free report. Uh, we have a new free report. We have a guest today. Yes, we do. Ted McElroy from Tifton, Georgia, down your way. That's right. Visiting us. Uh, he was saying before we started taping, it's his first time visiting the Washington, D.C. area, and he's spending the day with us. Well, making the wise choice here, too, right? I mean, he had the option, perhaps, to go sightseeing in D.C., but his better half wanted to be a part of that as well. I think you made the right choice there, Ted. We're glad to have you Yeah, here. that's that's yeah, that's yeah, always that's always a good mode. <laughs> it's going to work out. It's like long-term thinking, right? That's how we invest. You, your decision today is much in line Playing with the that. Long <laughs> always a good move. Always a good move. So, welcome, Ted. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. From Jason Ryan, who writes, You may have already seen this, but I thought I would pass it along just in case. The launch of Uncle Martian, a Chinese company that makes premier athletic apparel and has a company logo remarkably similar to that of Under Armour. And I had tweeted out on the Market Foolery feed uh, a story, uh, the story that Jason had sent us, which includes the prominent red and white. Uncle Martian logo. Uh, now, when you say remarkably similar, I mean let's harken back because I think I had talked about the Domino Donuts thing at one point in yes. Kazakhstan. This share, is like share that. that for folks who who have not heard that. Well, my so my wife, as many will remember, works with the State Department, and for about five years we lived overseas. We lived in Cairo, Egypt, for three years. Moved on to Astana, Kazakhstan, for another two. And it was in Kazakhstan that I saw in one of the the Ram store grocery stores one day as we're shopping, this little kiosk at the end of an aisle. And I thought, oh my God, that looks like Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm just thinking, this is just thank goodness we just need a little Dunkin' Donuts here. You know, if you've ever seen a Dunkin' Donuts, the font uh, of the lettering is very familiar. The color scheme very familiar. Now my eyes were already failing me at that point in my life, so I couldn't quite read at the the end of the aisle there. But I saw the colors and the logo. Like you said, walk up there and it was not Dunkin' Donuts, Chris. It was Domino Donuts. Same font, same coloring. I mean, down to the apostrophe at the end of the domino. And why is there an apostrophe at the end of the domino? I mean, there's not, there's, I mean, it's not supposed to be there. It's not like But it was Duncan. there. And, uh, and it was just like, what? The? We tried to figure it out and, you know, found out a little bit more about the story. I think Dunkin' Donuts had tried to make some inroads there. Didn't do so well. And um, they left some packaging yeah, behind. I think maybe they got kicked out and, uh, you know, people kept some, some IP and altered it a little bit. And, and there you go. You can Google it Domino Donuts and Domino you'll see donuts. it. It's pretty crazy. So back to Jason's email, because uh, in addition to flagging the story, and thank you, I, in fact, hadn't seen it until Jason sent the email. He goes on to write, first, it's no Noteworthy and almost commendable how brazen the knockoff is. <laughs> commendable. The Uncle Martian company itself posted a side by side comparison of the Uncle Martian and Under Armour logos so there can be no mistaking their awareness of the similarities 
But more importantly, what is the extent of the openness of this particular knockoff say about the potential troubles Under Armour might face enforcing its trademark in a potentially important market like China? Is Uncle Martian so... I just love the name. Is Uncle Martian so open about their corporate plagiarism because they know they can get away with it? And that's, I mean, I think the larger question there is one that applies not just to Under Armour, but to any number of businesses. Um, As I said, I tweeted this out on the Market Foolery feed, and Tim Hansen replied with a link to a story that included photographs of other Chinese ripoffs of. Well-known American brands and logos. My favorite one is the Mastercard logo <laughs> for a food kiosk entitled Master Beef. <laughs> so, um, but I, look, this doesn't go in the plus column if you're Under Armour. This, this certainly, we to some degree, can't we at least agree that to some degree, maybe just one percent, this hurts them. Uh, Perhaps, maybe I could I could I could also flip that around and and say it helps them. I mean, I'm pretty sure Steph Curry isn't going to be signing with Uncle Martian anytime soon. <laughs> uh, and, and and I mean, I'm I'm being only half facetious there. I mean, I think that you don't want to underestimate the power of a brand. I mean, again, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. It won't be the last. But I mean, if we look at Under Armour to date, really no presence in China up until now. If we look in the last earnings call. Uh, they talked about their exposure to China and how they are growing there. They earned more revenue in China last quarter than they did in the full year of 2014. So they are focused on growing there. But but again, going back to the power of that brand and just using basketball as, as an example, there are 300, 400 million estimated basketball uh, lovers in China. It's it's a very popular sport there, and and so I think that when you have athletes. World-class athletes uh, talking your book for you, wherever the country is. I think that has a very strong effect, uh, even even more so than here. I think in, in in developing economies, I think they can hold a lot of sway. I, I think that you have such a popular sport there, like basketball. You have uh, Under Armour making a lot of inroads in the basketball market. Really, a lot of success in that Steph Curry line. I wouldn't. I wouldn't sell that short. I mean, I think this is this is something that we'll look back in probably a year or two and, and chuckle about it. I don't think this really is something that threatens their business in any kind of a long term way. I'm chuckling right now. The name is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's name like is- it's like they had the vote like Bodie McBoatface a research vessel in in uh, in Europe. Obviously, they turned that name down. But uh, no, Uncle Martian. Uncle Martian. It's is like fun. just a lot. Well, and pick. presumably Nike has dealt with this for years as well, yeah. with not just the symbol but also the name. So, so this is. Um, well, Tesla right. was hesitant to even sell their cars at the very beginning uh, in China because they knew the second they let, they touched shore, somebody was going to disassemble that and reverse engineer their own Tesla. And sure enough, there's a few companies that are already selling almost identical replicas of Teslas in China. I mean, so. the first thing that comes to my mind with this is like Looney Tunes, Marvin the Martian, right? Like that's yeah, that should be their their logo, right? <laughs> I mean, instead, 
I mean, it's it's like they didn't it's they didn't even try to make it different. I mean, they, they just lowered the letters. Like a little gap there yeah. between the U and the. They separated it. the U and the A, <laughs> yep. and now it's, it's a uh, U and it's barely an M. <laughs> yeah, it's not even an M. I mean, uh, it's like Uncle Martian, right? I mean, it's like the uh, the apostrophe on Domino. <laughs> I've said this before in other situations. I really hope whichever person at Uncle Martian came up with the name, I hope they got a little bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Getting more headlines that way. (laughs) Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.